0: eavesdrop on experts a podcast about stories of inspiration and insights it's where expert types obsess confess and profess you'll meet people you wouldn't normally meet but will be glad you did i'm chris hanses let's eavesdrop on experts and see how these 21st century explorers are changing the world one lecture one experiment one interview at a time It's an uncharacteristically beautiful sunny day in Melbourne, and a great opportunity to escape from the office into an urban oasis. Lincoln Square, a park just south of the University of Melbourne's main campus. Even though we're amongst the hustle and bustle of city life, trams, commuters, buses and helicopters, there's a certain tranquility when coming down to the park to sit under the massive Moreton Bay fig trees. Our reporter, Dr. Andy Horvath, is here to have a chat with Dr. Shona Candy, an academic at Architecture, Building and Planning at the University of Melbourne and an expert in the importance of urban green areas. Shona is talking about food and water systems at the EcoCity World Summit in July 2017, a conference that will bring together councillors, academics and business to discuss how we can make our cities healthier, happier and more environmentally sustainable. Or in Shona's words, how we can create resilient cities.
1: We're sitting here on a picnic table in the middle of the city, and the city is Melbourne, Australia. There are helicopters going, you're going to hear fire engines, there's a bus stop just there, and we're in among a whole lot of high-rises. Shona Candy, you're someone who's involved in this eco-city future, which means taking cities to a new... Sustainable and, in your words, resilient future.
2: At the moment, I'm a research fellow in resilient urban systems, um, with a particular kind of interest and experience in um, in food systems analysis, uh, food security, and integration of urban systems. The city is is a is a complex thing, you know. Um, there's lots of different systems and I think there's a potential for these different systems to interact, to make a city more resilient. So for example we have our urban gardens but we also have our peri-urban agriculture for example so it's not it's not just about community gardens and that kind of thing. Most of it, like the powerhouse of our food production comes from peri-urban areas. But what we also have to do in the city is we've got issues with water, both not enough and too much at times, particularly, you know, with climate change coming on and all that kind of thing and we've also got uh, like waste management, which is a massive logistical exercise. So, like getting, I think there's what is it like something like uh, 1.7 million households in in Melbourne, and everyone one of them has to get a bin emptied once a week. So, but I see particularly around the areas of food and water, and, or even energy, that there's so much opportunity for these things to take up some of the slack and turn waste into you know something we can actually use so the outputs of one system could actually be the inputs of another so could we harness our storm water and water our gardens you know could we use our food waste compost um could we use it for urban biogas to power our buses like they do in many other places you know there's so I think there's just so much opportunity these initiatives, sort of these, I suppose, sustainability initiatives on their own in individual systems are all well and good, but are often not considered feasible because if they're operating in isolation. But what I want to find out is if you link them together, do they become more feasible because you're taking the waste and you're putting it into something else?
1: Now, in 2017 in Melbourne is going to be a huge international conference about the Echo City. Is this the city of the future or the city of the now that we want to see happening? Is this the discussion that brings together all these systems? Look, I think um,
2: Echo City is a fairly, probably fairly broad term. It can mean a lot, a lot of things. Traditionally, I suppose it's when people say Echo, they think, oh, I have environmental outcomes and they think of, you know, sustainability. But... I suppose these days, ECHO is not just about sustainability and maybe reducing our footprint, but it's also about actually changing the structure of our cities to make us more adaptable, more resilient. So it's, it's not just about tinkering around the edges. And ECHO City
1: is about transforming cities. So what are your current research adventures? What are you doing with some of your students?
2: So I'm working on two that are, around, um, that are funded by the Cooperative Research Centre for Low Carbon Living. So they're around low carbon cities. One is called the Visions and Pathways Project. And it's about bringing together kind of stakeholders from the you know, built environment area and bringing them together and trying to put together visions of what a low carbon city would look like in 2040 we've actually produced four separate visions so they're they're different but all of these visions have seeds in the present so at the moment now we're working we've got the visions for 2040 but now we're working on the pathways what is it going to take to get us there another project i'm working on is is looking at again it's a low carbon city project and i'm working with six students and we're looking at urban interventions for low carbon cities but that also have Implications for resilience. It's so a particular focus on distributed systems. So in our cities we've typically in history had centralized, you know, like our power is produced in one great big power plant and trucked in, our water's collected in one big dam and piped in and all that kind of thing. But distributed network cities is where we actually start to either produce or gather or generate resources within our city. So it's this concept of what they call a prosumer. So previously, we're consumers, right? In cities, all the stuff that we need gets trucked in and we consume it and then our waste goes out. But what prosumers do is they actually produce some of the stuff that they consume. So this is whether we produce, to some extent, some of our own food if we have an urban garden, not saying that that's the solution to food security, or do we collect some of our own rainwater? Do we generate some of our own energy? so to kind of offset the centralized systems that have historically supplied our cities
1: i'm going to be the grumpy devil's advocate but is this too hard to do i mean there are companies out there that are just interested in profit um there'd be body corporates that just go too hard can't afford there must be a dissenting voice
2: absolutely i mean you the, the uptake of rooftop solar has been amazing you know over the past few years and so that kind of thing people are actually really interested in taking a bit back taking control you know there's there's microgrids already popping up these are these seeds of change that we're that we're looking for like this is for our pathways that are going to lead to to better cities in the future so there's a microgrid on the outskirts of the city say in rural which is it's grid connected but it's mostly just people sharing you know batteries solar panels all that kind of thing so with with new technologies coming in we've got to figure out ways to incorporate them into the social fabric of the city so you can't just plonk a technology in there and expect it to work so this is where the study of resilient urban systems is is very much a city is a socio-ecological technological system so it's it's all these things intermixed and you can't deal with one and not incorporate the other so Part of a resilient city is also building awareness in the community, you know, bringing, you know, finding these prosumers or finding the ones who are interested in becoming prosumers and working out how these kind of different systems can actually fit into their lives because there's going to be some give and take on either side. And maybe the give or take just happens. So um, one of my students is doing a project where he's looking for people. He's setting up a simulated microgrid amongst groups of about six houses. So they each have a little duval wacky in their house which tells them, it connects to their smart meter, it tells them how much they could simulated be producing in this microgrid that links all these six houses. But what he's really looking into is if these people have some awareness of the potential and what that they can see is in their microgrid, this simulated microgrid, whether they're going over or under like their their allotted power or the power that's available to them so then he wants to see if that will actually bring down consumption so people actually being able to manage their own power you know bring down you know we have some of the highest energy use in the world and the highest carbon footprint you know in australia per capita so will this actually change that because it's got to come from both ends not just production it's got to come from consumption
1: I'm ashamed for our fellow Australians. We need to get our act together. Okay, Shona, let's start retrofitting some of the city here. We can see various style buildings ranging back from the 70s, 80s, definitely some built this century, some really beautiful ones, colourful ones as well. We're here in the middle of Melbourne. Let's start retrofitting. Let's fix things. Where do we start, Shona?
2: Well, I would start looking at some of the older buildings and the older building stock. For things like rooftop gardens, they're particularly good because those buildings are typically over-designed. So they're strong enough to kind of retrofit a rooftop garden. So that would be one thing I would see. Maybe these the newer apartment buildings that are, um, you know, less less over-designed. I'd want to see plants hanging over their balconies, you know, vines growing up the side. It, It doesn't have to be one of those amazing but sometimes quite complicated green facades. You know, you can have vines growing up, buildings they they have it there's a there's a couple of buildings non-destructive vines and that green kind of skin would um it would improve the urban heat island impact you know urban heat island yeah um so the urban heat island effect is basically when a city doesn't cool down at night and we've all experienced that on a hot summer's day when the sun goes away but it's still hot this is because what happens in a city is that the sun comes down and it gets absorbed by all the concrete and whatever that we have in a city. Unlike in in the country where it's still hot during the day, but at night when the sun goes away, there's, there's not all this stored heat in the area. So in the country it's much cooler in the evening and summers than it is in the cities because all that heat can dissipate. What happens in the cities is that all that heat that's stored in all the buildings and the roads and the concrete surfaces and all that kind of thing then starts to radiate back. So even when the sun's gone away, it radiates between all these surfaces, so it never actually leaves the city and it just and it stays hot. So then the next day when the sun comes out again, it just heats up even more. So it kind of builds and builds and builds on itself. And that that is a key problem definitely in the city of Melbourne and many other cities that are in warmer climates is this this issue of urban heat island.
1: So we've got to take be cool, literally. All right, so we can fix our buses by giving them different fuels. We can fix our buildings. What else is on your to-do list? I'm making you emperor of Australia.
2: (laughs) Um, I definitely want to see more green spaces, you know, because that it helps with a general well-being to have green spaces rather than just all concrete. Aside from that, it helps with this urban heat island effect because it's one of these areas in a city that that's not going to store all that heat that's going to make it really really hot. Uh, it's also really great for sort of stormwater management. A green space, green area, you know, or permeable paving or whatever kind of water sensitive urban design features you put, it's it's a rain events are going to become you know shorter and sharper and so we're going to have a lot of water to deal with anyone who's been down the end of elizabeth street near flinders street station in melbourne has seen what it looks like when there's a serious rainfall event because there's knee-deep water because that's actually elizabeth street used to be a river before it was a street so this is why the natural environment is saying well actually no i'm going to do what i want so this is where like in this park that we're sitting in now lincoln square They've actually, City of Melbourne has actually put in stormwater tanks underneath the park. So this is a way of stormwater storage, so to stop the problem happening down the, the bottom of Elizabeth Street, but also storing that water so that when it's the middle of summer and they want to water this lovely green grass that we're surrounded by, they can do it.
1: Obviously retrofitting is a way to go with existing buildings but what about design of new buildings or these so-called over-designed buildings that you referred to earlier?
2: Yes look I think you know in the past they didn't have the sophisticated kind of analysis techniques that we have now so they'd kind of put in a large sort of safety factor I suppose in the building of buildings so they put the bricks together and they'd make sure that that held the roof and but they, they erred on the side of caution and put more material into the building which which makes it Stronger, but I suppose less efficient when you're building it. So now our newer buildings are more efficiently designed with less materials, but as a result, they're not strong enough to hold a, a rooftop garden. But there, I mean, there are rooftop gardens on newer buildings. So there's one on the new Cancer Centre on Royal Parade. There's 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 ways you can do it without putting you know loads of soil and, and causing your building to crumble.
1: So next time we look at a city from a distance or a high-rise flat, what do you want us to think about?
2: I want people to think about how these could be, how they could be different. You know, I want people to think about, oh, what might that look like with greenery on the roof? What might it feel like inside? You know, there's some amazing there's actually green roof projects in like Balaclava in Melbourne there was a, a community in an apartment block in an, one of these older buildings who put a green roof and it's amazing it's, it's a beautiful space. I want, I want them to see not just the challenges I want them to see the opportunities. I think one of the common misconceptions around um, around the area of sustainability and resilience and you know environmental impact is everyone thinks the changes that we have to make are going to be bad. Whereas I see the changes are going to be really, could be really good um, if we do them right, you know. And I see them as opportunities. Um, An eco-city, a future city is going to be, I think, going to be better than what we've already got.
1: We need to get away from this helicopter. It's following us. I'm innocent. Shona, you mentioned social dimensions. Do you mean connecting us more together as humans and community? We have an amazing culture in our cities
2: and we don't want to lose that. So whatever kind of technological changes we make for the, you know, so we can kind of maintain our environment, we also need to maintain our culture at the same time.
1: What are some of the misconceptions in the public that people have about sustainable or resilient cities?
2: Look, I think people are scared of change in general, but I think they also assume that any changes we're going to make for the good of the environment are going to be bad for the people living in it, which to me, it, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. I, I see actually the changes we can make will make our city better, a better place to live. I, I don't know if any of you have seen that, uh, that cartoon where there's a guy standing up going, oh, we'll have... You know, clean energy, we'll have water, we'll have blower And then someone, you know, they talk about taking action on climate change and someone puts up his hand and says, what if it's all a hoax and we create a better world for nothing? You know, it's that kind of thing. Um, all the changes we would make to make our city more sustainable and resilient will also just actually make it a better place. They'll make it a better place if we bring the community along with it. Like I said earlier, you can't just dump a technology in an area, particularly not in a city, which already has such a strong culture. You've got to co-design solutions with the people who live in the city.
1: Now if you're wondering what that funny noise is, we're kicking leaves here in another park. We've just wandered over to Argyle Park, here in the city of Melbourne. Shona, I'm really glad that you're in charge of the future. I've made you Emperor of Australia. What's the first thing you want us to get going on?
2: I think the first thing we've got to get going on, well, kind of two parallel things, we've got to get people on board. We've got to get people, we've got to get the buy in to make changes in a city. Um, Because a city is not just about its infrastructure or its technology, it's about its people. So that's about, I suppose, getting people on board and showing them that it's, you know, that change is for good, not for bad. Kind of highlight all the opportunities and really support and nurture these seeds of change that I mentioned earlier the seeds that could lead to a better future so that's you know it's community building exercises but it's also you know it's things where people are you know testing out urban biogas are they putting it in you know to power buses it's food waste initiatives where there's community composting all all sorts of things these seeds have changed this new the Singapore Bike Share, the Singapore company that's, that's starting that new bike share, what's it, what's it called? The O-Bike or something like that. That's a new initiative. It's a new seed of change. And that's it's going to improve walkability, you know, active transport in the city. So I suppose we, we've got to look at those seeds and, and look at them and analyse them and nurture the ones that we think are really going to bring positive change.
1: You started off life as an engineer, a systems engineer. What good advice were you given by various mentors or perhaps a book or a film? And also, I want to find out what good advice you give to your students. So let's start with you, the early Shona Candy. Look, I think,
2: you know, I was uh, a woman in in a male-dominated profession. Early on, I remember people saying to me, oh, why are you working in that field? You know, know, you're never going to get a job. And then... Some wise person, I can't remember who it was, said to me, "Well, yeah, but if you're doing something you really believe in and you really like, then you're probably going to be quite good at it, and then you're probably going to get a job." You know, and that's that's the kind of thing. It's, it's sort of don't let people stop you in your tracks. Everyone, that there are limitations absolutely to what not everyone can do everything, but there are. You know, that's that's the kind of thing. Go well, don't let that put you off just yet. Another thing would be. To get out of your comfort zone, so I think I did that a lot. And again, not everyone can do it to the extent that I did it by going into the Himalayas in Nepal or Lake Tonle Sap in Cambodia. But I think you can you can take a couple of risks here and there. You know, um, get out of your comfort zone, try new things, and that that's the way you learn and grow. And this is where this again links back to this seeds of change thing. And there's a whole movement in academia about this. Um, the experimental city, where we actually, instead of just sitting back going, we're not going to do that because it's not going to work. We're not, we actually have to try it, and we actually have to try it on a small scale and look at how. And if it works, that that's the way we learn. Even if it doesn't work, that's the way we learn. We learn what does and what doesn't work, and then we look if it works. Okay, let's scale it up. Let's change it. Let's let's improve it. Let's spread it across the city. So it's that experimentation that I think is going to be really important. We need to take a couple of risks.
1: So that's your advice to students, really. Experiment. Take some risks and learn from it. Look, it's my advice
2: to anyone who lives in a city, you know, um, or the people who are making decisions in a city. Try things on a small scale, see if they work, because that builds community, that brings people together to join the conversation around eco-cities. And even if the thing you're trying out doesn't work, that builds resilience because you're, you're building kind of adaptive capacity in your city.
1: Now, you spoke about Australia having one of the highest energy uses. What is it with Australia? What's going on?
2: Well, it's probably more around that we, um, we have one of the highest emissions per capita. So overall, our emissions footprint isn't huge, but per capita, it's quite large. And part of that is that we have a very high carbon lifestyle. So lots of car transport. We've got lots of kind of, you know, fossil fuel energy, all that kind of thing. If we're going to, I suppose, change our cities for the better, we've got to look at what's going to reduce the carbon footprint of its citizens. And that takes good urban planning.
0: Excellent advice, Shona. Think small, everyone. Small footprint. Lay off the carbon. All good stuff. That way, we can become happy and healthy citizens in our resilient cities. Thanks to Dr. Shona Candy, academic at architecture, building and planning at the University of Melbourne. And thanks to our reporter, Dr. Andy Horvath. Eavesdrop on Experts. Stories of Inspiration and Insights is a production of the University of Melbourne, Australia. This episode was recorded on the 20th of June, 2017. You'll find a full transcript on the Pursuit website. Audio engineering by Arch Cuthbertson. Co-production by Dr. Andy Horvath, Chris Hatzers, and Claudia Hooper. Thanks also to Belinda Young. And don't forget to check out the EcoCity World Summit 2017 website. Still curious about the world? I hope you are. Nip on over to our sister podcast, Up Close, which features in-depth and long-form conversations with seasoned researchers across many fields. I'm Chris Hatzis. Join me again next time for another Eavesdrop on Experts.